All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block M Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network, a podcast that knows very little about public relations, but knows that throwing a 15-foot Hitler up on the big screen is not going to be well-received. I am Jared Stormer of maizeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of maizeandbrew.com. Andy, you scruffy-looking nerf herder. How the hell are you, sir? You know, I was shocked to find out that Hitler was from Germany. You know, after all these years, like, thought he was from Australia. So, I mean, shout out to the Michigan State Video Board for teaching me that. Uh, color me informed and happy to be here, sir. Yeah, thanks for clearing that one up. Maybe we can get Bin Laden up there next year. Well done to the PR team over at Michigan State. Um, got some shout outs before we get into this podcast this week. Shout out to Jennifer Whitener, UM graduate, former Denver Zoo employee who's listening in this week, and my cousins Jim and Michelle in Ohio for your continued listenership. Thank you guys for tuning in. We appreciate you. We are going to skip the quick hits. Uh, we will obviously address the situation that unfolded this week at Michigan, the allegations of sign stealing, but we've got good news. We have good news. We're going to start there. We're going to lead with something positive and uh, doesn't get much more positive than absolutely thrashing a rival 49 to nothing on the road. Andy, let's talk 30,000 foot view about this game. A joyous, joyous evening in East Lansing. I mean, one for the record books, and this isn't hyperbolic. It was the biggest blowout in the rivalry since 1947, two years after the boys came home again. The worst loss in, for Michigan State in the history of Spartan Stadium. And it could have been worse. Like, that's the craziest thing about this 49 to nothing, and it didn't even feel that close. Yes, at the half, it was 28 nothing. Michigan had nearly seven times more offensive yards than Michigan State. You, you uh, get seven touchdowns to their none. Their, your defense outscores their entire offense. Uh, Michigan currently outscoring its opponents 107 to nothing in the third quarter. There's a million stats that we could get into about this one, but I think my 30,000 foot view of this game is the only time you should consider not playing a college football game for the health and safety is if the other team has like a Sasquatch or a teen wolf on it um so congratulations we do, max bredesen i mean max max bredesen is actually a teen wolf um <laughs> uh, but yeah so uh so shout out to them for for braving the elements uh and, and you know deciding it was safe enough to come play but this one was pretty much over once you made that decision because michigan was not losing this game this was the most dialed in we've seen the wolverines all year you could tell they wanted this one from the outset well, it's like with all the noise surrounding the program, it just brings everybody inside that building together, just really embodying the Michigan versus everybody. Let's leave no doubt. Let's do it this way and showing that there's no asterisk that caused this streak, these wins or anything like that. I mean, this team is so unique in the way that like they have the passion and the energy of the 2021 like redeem Michigan team. And they are executing as well as any Michigan team in the history of the program. Like, like from the very last details, like when they make a mistake, like when Corum had a false start, like it's like, wait, we can, we can still do that. Haven't done that all season. And like, it feels like JJ takes it to another level when playing on the road. Like it's just, it's, it was unbelievable to watch, man. Like third and 14, third and short on schedule, off schedule, running, passing. This team continued to find a way to get it done. 
And in a week where a lot of the top competitors, the top competition in college football struggled to put away inferior opponents, Michigan goes on the road against a rival at night and absolutely houses them, just bulldozes them. So winning is not easy. And uh, go ask Washington how difficult it was against Arizona State. Go talk to Texas about Houston. Ask North Uh, Carolina about Virginia. (laughs) North Carolina didn't even get out. They didn't get out unscathed. So it is difficult to win in college football. It is extremely extremely difficult as well when you know there's a lot of noise surrounding the program and you're able to internalize go on the road and 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 do what they were able to do against Michigan State extremely extremely impressive performance uh let's talk about our predictions here you uh you were pretty damn close with your 59 to nothing prediction 10 points off I had it at 45 to 10 but I did however change my prediction on Twitter after the the record stealing allegations came out and I was like this is only gonna make this team angrier uh, and I ended up going with a 52 to 7 prediction. So we were both pretty much dialed in on this one that Michigan was going to take no mercy. Uh, you got the shutout. So I'm absolutely going to give you your flowers there. Called this one. You had CJ and Braden McGregor as your swing players, JJ and Mason Graham as your players of the game. Well done. I feel, you know, I don't know if Mason Graham gets the the actual nod over Mikey Sainra still, but one of the best performers on that defense, once again, for sure. Um, I had Donovan Edwards and Makari Page as my swing player and J.J. McCarthy and Will Johnson as my men of the match. But let's start with the actual man of the match. I think that, you know, your mind goes to J.J. McCarthy with the four touchdowns, but this was the best tight end performance we've ever covered at the University of Michigan. And you got to go way back to find one as prolific as the night the tight ends had. Yeah, and it was the combination. I mean, it was A.J. Barner, who's developed in such a reliable target for McCarthy. It was Colson Loveland, who is, like, stepping into his star role. And this is what we expected from Michigan all season, and it's nice to see the offense kind of operating at that level with these pieces. It's like, okay, it's time to get serious. Let's put these clowns away. And they're doing it with just, like, not crazy concepts, but they're executing at such a high level using the physicality. I mean, it's a mismatch for NFL teams if you have two 6'5", 250-pound tight ends that can both catch, run, and block. And the fact that Michigan's doing this to colleges at times feels borderline unfair. Um, but also, like, I, I, I we want to talk about tight ends here as man of the match. Like, it, it McCarthy is ridiculous. Like, there's a reason you and I are going to pick him every game for man of the match. With he, I mean, he's leading the Heisman Trophy odds right now online. I never thought we were going to be here. I never thought I'd no. see this, like have a Michigan player on this team leading the odds this way through the season. He was just dialed in third and long, third and short, going against the best third down, one of the best third down defenses in the country. And it didn't matter. Like they blitzed them, they stunned him, they did everything they could and everything, like it just wasn't enough. So like McCarthy, the tight ends, I mean, men of the match. Yeah, it's it's a group effort here, and uh, we'll speak more on group efforts later on in this one. A little foreshadowing there. (laughs) But J.J. McCarthy was absolutely dialed in, making throws that a lot of NFL quarterbacks can't even make. Uh, They look ill-advised at times. It's like, no, that has to be an accident. There's no way he was trying to make it into that, you know, 10 millimeter little little corner pocket there that he was aiming at but nope that's just how accurate he is and a lot of the times in this game it was to the tight ends and it was early 
to Michigan gets behind the chains early on in this one. It's a third and 14 on the first drive. JJ rolls out of the pocket, throws across his body, a dart to AJ Barner. And that was just kind of indicative of the night that it was going to be tough night to be a Michigan state defender as JJ McCarthy was finding the tight ends early, often getting them involved. And now AJ Barner absolutely turning into another weapon aside from Colston Loveland, who we already knew about, who currently has matched already at, at week eight, Jake Butts, uh, Mackie award-winning season. So off to an impressive start as well. Uh, let's talk about the offensive line a little bit here and the John Runyon Jr. Award for quiet excellence. This was a great offensive line evening, but who stands out to you? You think, uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but do you think they had an emphasis on pass pro this week after allowing four sacks to Indiana? I mean, the pass pro was sharp, crisp. They only allowed one sack, and that's just because J.J. was doing his little whirling dervish thing on the sidelines. Like, that's not really a sack. Definitely not on them. Um, yeah, man, the pass pro was unbelievable in this game. The pockets, the communication, the protection. I thought Carson Barnhart really stood up. They really tried to attack the right side of the line of scrimmage. There was nothing there. Like, Barnhart was dialed in with this. The running backs also were very cued in to what they were doing in protection. I mean, blown away. Some of the, you'd like to see a little bit more in the run, but I mean, Michigan State was running so many run blitzes and overloading sides. Like there wasn't going to be uh, a lot of space there. But Jared, my God, dude, there was a, uh, a split zone in the second quarter with Donovan Edwards. And it's the only, the only drive Michigan punted on in the first quarter. And we are six inches from like a 70-yard play. Like it is like, like I've watched it again, like several times since the game. And it's just so close. Like even when they were gambling like that, the offensive line was still getting pushed and keeping the run game serviceable enough so they could have a balanced attack. Yeah, Michigan State came out with a similar approach that we've seen already this season, the make JJ beat us approach. And uh, how's that been working out? <laughs> yeah, how's that been working out for everyone? So, yeah, you already mentioned there was quite a few run blitzes dialed up in this one. So uh, I thought that the run blocking was more than adequate, but the pass pro definitely stood out. You mentioned Barnhart. Count me in on the Drake Nugent and Ladarius Henderson movements. Uh, Ladarius Henderson moves more bodies than Amtrak. Dude's just big fast physical <laughs> dude I'm just in. big just leave it there <laughs> just leave it there uh nugent is going to end up playing every meaningful snap at center this season god willing knock on wood uh just an incredible stalwart in there so count me in on the transfers and what they've been able to to bring just wanted to give them a shout out here but yeah it was it was the whole unit it was the whole unit and and to that point again i know i said his name once joking but max bredesen again continues to be an elite elite run blocker at the goal line when corn ran that first one in just pulverized the lane, just opened it straight up. And that is something Michigan didn't have last year, just a natural uh, fullback kind of blocker like Bredesen is. And it just gives this power offense another element. And you're not going to see the the fourth down stops or the goal line struggles. And Bredesen's been a big reason because of that. Absolutely. Let's keep it moving. Swinging doors moment of this game. Uh, I've got the moment Michigan State doesn't forfeit due to health and safety. Pretty much once they agreed to play this thing, it was over. Uh, was there another maybe on the field moment that you had in mind? Uh, no, but I have one that predates yours. It was the tunnel assault last season. <laughs> That's absolutely that's when it was. It was, it was over yeah. at that point. There was no way Michigan was going to lose this game and there was no way they were going to leave East Lansing without blowing this team out. 
Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and make another call. So long as there are players on this team that remember the tunnel assault, Michigan will not lose to Michigan State. I we're like about that. to go on a we're going on a run right here. Um, set things back to where they belong. I don't care if you go get Urban Meyer. It's not going to matter. They're getting Jason Candle. They're not Urban Meyer's not even on their betting <laughs> odds for a coach. Like that's just that's just that's just X folly. That's all that is. Like it, they're getting Jason yeah. Candle from Toledo. You'll get Dan Enos and you'll like it. <laughs> he does need a job. Uh, all right. The motorcycle chase and Terminator two award for best drive. couple different options here, uh, being as how we scored 49 points. So a uh, lot, lot to look at here, but I'm going to go with picking up the long third down on the opening drive being hugely important. That was an, impo- uh, an important tone setting drive there. Uh, but I think I've got to go with the second touchdown to Loveland and, and that drive. That was one of the more ridiculous throws you're going to see. That's the one that just buzzes Cal Hall day's ear uh he probably heard that one slinging by him was the drive the best of the day maybe not but that throw is otherworldly and there's like a couple guys on the planet that can make that throw and jj mccarthy's one of them i love that like you said there's a lot to choose from here i thought about going with the orgy in the end zone to uh to finish this Mm -hmm. but i'm actually going to go with the third drive of the game like it's funny we just pick him out like that uh it was the play where jj had the little whirling dervish move on second down and like they got the big play and then the next, the very next play, you think you have um, a free play. And so they snap the ball. JJ yep. drops back. Colson yep. Loveland boxes out. And he throws the touchdown pass. I love that because it's like you have a little bit of adversity, similar to you talking about picking up the third and 14 and then just immediately squash it with a touchdown. I, I love that response by JJ. That was also great, wonderful job by Colston Loveland to use that frame there and to just, what are you doing? Play big, that? man. Play no big. Idea. Yeah. Yeah, use that size. That was awesome. Uh, there's no wrong answers here. I mean, this was just a joy to watch. Low-key, the two-minute drill to close the first half might have been my answer if they capped it off. Like that drive if they was, had a, capped that it was off. so, so crisp. Also, while we're on the subject, uh, you're absolutely right that that was ticky-tack because he was pretty clearly moving backwards, which you are allowed to do. So yep. didn't even like that call. No, like, yeah, he, he was, he was like established and then moved. And it's like, okay, you can do that. And even when he reset, it was like, okay, was that 0.8? Like, we're going to call it because he was, he wasn't there 0.2 longer. Like it felt so ridiculous in the moment. And, but I mean, again, like as good as JJ was in this game, like he did miss Morris on that drive. Like, you know, he he had some moments where he could have been better. And it's just like, when you think about plays like that or the Donovan miscue. So we talk about how this game was 49 to nothing, but it still felt so much worse because it could have been. Yeah. Left a little bit on the table there, boys, uh, <laughs> you know, some stuff to clean up there for, uh, for, for Purdue here in a couple the corpse weeks. is still kicking. We need to step in to smash his head <laughs> next time. Yeah. You want to separate the spinal column. Is what you're after rip, here. rip, rip the aorta. <laughs> Jeez, this is getting dark. Uh, All right. Give me a youngster that impressed on offense. Not a ton of options. Well, actually, there are because everybody that traveled played in this one. But we're we're more talking about the meat of the game. Who contributed to meaningful football? Anybody Uh, catch your eye? Meaningful, probably the closest would be Samaj Morgan. Like, I thought he was really good in this one. But Alex Orgy, man. Shout out to him. First touchdown of the season. I love that drive. Just using the power running by him. I loved how... uh, ecstatic the sideline was to see him get in the end zone like it felt like such a cool moment and i love that everybody was excited for him so probably go with orgy in this one 
Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, wasn't the best Tyler Morris day. Samaj Morgan and Alex Orgy were the ones that I had written down as well. Uh, this is going to be a new one here. I think this is mandatory. Give me an adjust the britches moment. A point in the game where Andy had to sit up, adjust the britches. He's doing it right now. <laughs> Got a little bit excited about something that you saw on the screen. Give it to me. I, I wanted to go with something uh, different than I saw what you put in the doc. But this is the moment. This is the exact moment. I was so excited when this happened from like a film nerd standpoint from an X's and I, I just couldn't believe what it was. And it was, it was the third down conversion, the third and long when they sent Donovan Edwards in motion and I'm gonna let you cook a little bit and then I'm gonna bring it back. Cause man, this play, there's so much going on. Yeah. Uh, I was going to let you cook on that one. Cause I had another one. So please, sir. Oh, is yours. oh, oh my, this is a Sharon Moore masterclass because he lines up Donovan Edwards as a receiver but like Michigan State has all their linebackers blitzed, like lined up close to the line of scrimmage, all walked up. Like it's like kind of trying to say they're going to blitz. They're not going to, but they want to show that. So McCarthy waves him in. Edwards, as he's running in, like about to get set in the backfield, points around like he's setting a pass pro and then darts out to the, uh, to the swing pattern. And the thing to watch here is when he goes in motion, the corner points to Halliday, like he's coming this way. It's your man now. And then when he gets there and Edwards is pointing and then he takes off, Halliday is pointing to the safety to take him because now the defense is outflanked on the other side. You get three big blocks. The safety can't get there in time. Edwards takes the ball for a first down. It was a master class in just scheme, execution, leverage, and just winning the man game, having the plus one on the outside for the first down. One of my favorite play calls of the season. That was well, well documented, sir. Uh, yeah, I was adjusting my britches for most of this game. The over under on change of pants was three and a half. We went over. <laughs> we were over. This was four sets of slacks on this game. Um, so I, I think that I, I do want to go with one of the Colston Loveland touchdowns, but we already kind of touched on that. You mentioned the Donovan Edwards play, uh, the Mikey Sainrist. Oh, no, we're, we're just doing it uh, on offense mm -hmm. here. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna stick with it then. I'm gonna go with uh, with JJ to Colston Loveland part one. Then any one of these moments was a uh, an adjust the britches moment. But the box out on that one, Colston Loveland, just the fact that we're getting him more involved, um, the identification from JJ. I'll go with that one here. The, the britches were getting adjusted a lot. I wanted Bar to let you cook. Barner one was good. The uh, the Roman Wilson, the first one on the run, just because we haven't yeah. seen quarterbacks be able to make that, just avoid the blitz and roll to the side. Yeah. It's like. Oh, he's throwing it for a touchdown from here. Oh, okay. Normally, Cade, Mac Cade McNamara would have checked that down like two yards to a fullback. Cade McNamara would have just had a panic attack and gone into a cocoon. There's no <laughs> way. He's not ready for it. Um, all right, sir. Let's uh, let's go position by position here on the offense. We've already talked about a lot of these guys, but anything else about the quarterbacks other than J.J. being absolutely surgical uh, have written down that he's on a pace uh, to comfortably break the Michigan single season passing touchdown record of 25. Obviously you mentioned being in pole position for the Heisman voting right now after a three interception game from Michael Penix. So other than being the Heisman favorite and the best Michigan quarterback of all time, <laughs> anything to add? It's he can still get better. Like he missed like uh, a couple zone reads when he should have kept in this one, kept one he should have given missed an RPO on the first drive when Loveland might still be running. If he catches the line route, Missed Tyler Morris down the sideline. All of that happened, and he still had a performance that put him in first place in the Heisman conversation. That's the level he's operating on, and the ceiling remains even higher. 
Look, if he wanted to, he probably could have secured the Heisman in this game. He could have yeah. put up eight touchdowns, 600, whatever he wanted to do in this game was on the table for him. So this certainly is the game that's going to get um, get him boosted. That's going to certainly boost his resume. Obviously, it already has putting him in pole position, according to Las Vegas. Uh, how about giving Kirk Campbell a little love? I feel like on this uh, podcast, we don't talk about him that often, but he, I think that he deserves some credit yes. here. I mean, if you're the quarterback's coach, if for the Heisman, you know, front runner that deserves some, some love. So he's been doing an outstanding job here and yeah, great to see orgy and Denegal minutes. There does kind of feel likely that one, if not both of those guys would look to transfer eventually, but that's a problem for next year. Yeah, probably. So I uh, got some uh, Jack Tuttle minutes in there as well. So good to see him continue to progress. Um, yeah, man, with JJ, the craziest thing is that like, he doesn't have to do anything extraordinary now to win the Heisman. If he does what he's been doing for four more games, he's going to win the Heisman full stop. Yep. And and that's where we're at, which is awesome because there's just, there's no Cam Newton out there. There's no, like, there's nobody out there that's, you know, in a position to make the college football playoff while also putting up those huge numbers and Caleb Williams. I mean, they're just not going to be relevant enough. Um, and you look around and there's nobody on Georgia that stands out now that Brock Bowers is out. Yep. I mean, Ohio States, nope. no. Nope. You know, Drake May, Drake May fell no. after losing. Jordan Travis is up and down. Uh, Jaden yep. Daniels is probably playing the best, uh, one of the best of any quarterbacks, but LSU already has two yep. losses. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he's in pole position and could create some separation, like you said, just by keeping the status quo. So, uh, that's, I mean, that's pretty, pretty exciting territory. Talk about adjusting bridges. <laughs> I mean, I'm just removing bridges. This is uncharted <laughs> territory for us. We don't even know how to handle covering something like this. Uh, yeah. When we, I mean, we've covered freaking John O'Corn. So this is, uh, Jesus, this don't, is don't remind me. slightly different. Uh, the running backs. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed about the running backs, we haven't seen the home run hits. They're, they're coming. It will come. And like we mentioned, everybody's playing the make JJ beat us. You're not going to run the ball down our throat thing. And Michigan's been happy to oblige. Uh, but those home runs are still coming. They're still certainly a threat. And I think teams have just been way more keyed in on that. And that's why you haven't seen those this year. But this was a good running back day. Uh, Donovan Edwards had a couple plays um, out of the backfield as a receiver that just go to show you how great his hands are and Blake Corum early in this thing was was still a tone setter so good day for the running backs yeah I mean they kept Michigan State honest I mean the Spartans sold out with a ton of run blitzes doing a whole bunch of things like trying to ugly the game up like they did last year but this isn't the Michigan from last year even stymied they were able to keep getting yards and then balance out the passing attack and we've seen it all year if you want to sell out to stop the run that's a recipe to lose against this team like you have to play both. You have to respect both, but that's what makes Michigan's offense so hard to stop. Yeah. And and still, if I were coaching a team, if I were the coach of Purdue and I had to get ready for Michigan, I think I would still probably say like, I think I'd rather JJ beat us than your ground game. So like I, I would still probably do the same thing. I mean, ideally you don't just don't get crushed, but I mean, it's pick your poison with this Michigan team. They're too potent on offense. There's too many weapons at the skill positions. So and it's a great Corum, problem to have. And Coram still leads the nation in rushing touchdowns. He has 13. 
Uh, I thought he was, oh, no, no, it's Roman Wilson who we'll get to. Yeah, leads the nation. Roman Wilson tied for second as we move over to the wide receivers. He has already set the Harbaugh era high for receiving touchdowns in a season. It's week eight. We could have seven more games. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it, it's pretty ridiculous. He's at 10. Uh, yeah, it's tied for number two in receiving touchdowns in the country. Really exciting stuff from Roman Wilson, not putting up huge yardage days, but just finds a way to get in the end zone. And it's almost like it's not like he's a safety blanket. They just have this connection, this innate connection that they could probably put up even bigger numbers if they wanted to. I I really feel like they could. But Roman Wilson has just been incredible this year. And yeah, I don't really have anything else to add other than, uh, you know, he's going to be an all timer in the hardball era and maybe beyond. Yeah, I mean, if you want to force feed in the ball, you can, but there's just too many weapons on this team. Like, everyone's got to get a little bit. Uh, early on in this game, Michigan State ran like a drop seven or a drop eight on a third down. Roman Wilson just ran across the middle. Nobody picked him up. And then as soon as the ball's in his hands, you realize that he's a legit 4-3 guy. Just flew around the edge and picked up an additional 20 yards. Like, I love the compliment of the entire receiver room night, right now of how Roman can be that scoring explosive threat. CJ's developed really into a nice possession type of receiver, very reliable in this game early on uh, as Samaj Morgan and Tyler Morris like continue to get their bearings about him as the wide receiver three. I love what this group's doing. And more importantly, I love the way they're blocking on the perimeter. Like when the Donovan Edwards play I gushed about a few minutes ago, it doesn't happen without them blocking. So uh, some friends of the podcast, Desmond Howard and Jake Butt, uh, record holders at Michigan. Um, Jake Butt more so talking about the Mackey Award winning season. But uh, Desmond Howard's 19 might be up for grabs with where we're at right now. It is now in the realm of possibility. I think we were leaning no when we first took stock of this. Where are you at right now? I'm still under because like, I want to hold it to the Desmond Howard game standpoint as well. Like through 15, like he might be able to get there, but I think it's got to be on the same games, but I do, I mean, third place, which is Anthony Carter, David Terrell and junior year. Braylon Edwards is 14. Uh, Braylon Edwards senior year is 15 for second all time. And I do think those are very feasible. Yeah, very much in play and a pretty hollowed ground. Yeah, you think? (laughs) So it's it's just absolutely wild. Uh, Samaj Morgan, dog status confirmed. Go ahead, go ahead and go and print him up his card. He is now a card carrying member of the dog club. Uh, He's a really unique player. I was trying to come up with a comp, and you you look at the size, and you're like, oh, he's like a Jeremy Gallon. No, he's He's like more Steve Smith. Yeah, I was going to say that's a really good one. I was going to say short Debo Samuel, but that's just what Steve Smith was. So that's a really really good comp. I like that one a lot. He's so physical, man. Like he doesn't let his size affect him at all. And he's just like, it's like he wants to fist fight every person that tries to tackle him. Like he takes everything so personally, the way he runs, like it's just, it's violent. It's almost like a defender out there with how violent he likes to play. And I love to watch it. Yeah, I'm here for it. Uh, Anything else on the wide receivers? No, tremendous solid game from them as always. Uh, tight ends. It was National Tight End Day yesterday, and uh, let's let's take a minute here because they certainly showed out for it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and lead with this. Colston Loveland should be in pole position for the John Mackey Award. I already mentioned uh, the Jake Butt stats. Jake Butt's regular season, he had 508 yards, four touchdowns. Colston Loveland currently 364 yards, four touchdowns, averaging 16 yards a catch. Yeah. This is 
ridiculous. Uh, I don't really know who's in pole position. Bowers left with 567 and four touchdowns. He probably was going to win it. Mm -hmm. So his injury is what opened the door for this in the first place. Dallin Hulker from CSU, 577 and six touchdowns. But let's be honest, that's not meaningful football. Colorado State. That's Colorado State. So yeah, yeah they're not gonna they're not gonna yeah. give it to a four win Colorado State team yeah. if uh, if you've got Colston Loveland here with on pace for like six hundred and seven eight touchdowns, which is pretty much what we predicted. But just seeing it in action, it's very special. I, I texted you this the, over the weekend, like when we did the uh, guest the stats pod with the Big House Bleachers boys. We said I said like seven touchdowns for Loveland. We're just like, whoa, that's so high. And then now, now it feels like the floor. Like it feels like yeah. if he doesn't get to seven, it'll be a disappointment in this game specifically. He and AJ Barner combined for twelve catches, one hundred and seventy eight yards, and three touchdowns. It just felt like anytime. JJ McCarthy needed to make a big play. He was looking to his tight ends, especially in the red zone with their size and the mismatches they create. And I also have to say this about the tight ends and the wide receivers. This is one of the best teams I have ever seen operate the scramble drill. I feel like they run the scramble drill 10 times a game. And every time JJ rolls out, I feel like it's going to be a completed pass. Yeah, you know that this is a team that spends a lot of time together. They've worked on this with the first team offense a lot because of things like that, the scramble drill, working back towards your quarterback. That's something that comes with time and reps. Uh, This was the best tight end game that we've ever covered at Michigan. It was the first time since at least 1960 that Michigan tight ends caught three touchdowns in a single game. That's from Michael Spath on Twitter. So pretty impressive stuff. Um, The Loveland body box out. And then the second one that just was more on JJ, but I mean, that was a laser. So, I mean, props for to Loveland for catching that. And then AJ Barner, man, uh, I wanted to do a little exercise called AJ Barner or, and I want to get your, your answers here. You ready? I love this. Let's go. All right. Would you rather on your team have AJ Barner or Sean McEwen? AJ Barner. AJ Barner or Zach Gentry? AJ Barner. Zach Gentry couldn't block. AJ Barner or Luke Schoonmaker? Schoonmaker. It's, it's a little closer. It's I close. Thought, it's yeah. very close. Yeah. I'm, I'm just so high on Schoony with what he could do. Yep. Like, I think yep. AJ Barner could still ascend with what he's yep. doing. And I do think this duo is better than the duo of Schoony and Eric Hall in 2021. Totally agree. Uh, AJ Barner or Cade Stover? Come on, man. This is a Michigan podcast. Like, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think I'm going to pick? <laughs> Not picking making that sure, guy. Making sure you're on your toes. AJ <laughs> Barner or Eric All, Michigan Eric All. I'm, 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 I'm going to pick Barner because I think he's a much better blocker than Eric All was. And he's just, and he's doing this in his first year in the system, which requires a lot of tight ends. And like we saw the growing pains early on, but the rate he is progressing is rapid. Like, this doesn't happen very often. Yeah, I don't really know what his ceiling was. That's why I wanted to have this Mm -hmm. exercise because he continues to get better and I'm extremely impressed with him as a blocker, tough, physical, like the way he plays. So excited to have that guy out there as our second tight end. That is better than most teams' first tight end. Like all the ways this Michigan team can attack, and we've seen a few things. Like we got the double tight ends a little bit more in this game. Uh, The week before, we had Roman Wilson during one play lined up in the backfield. Like what you can do with Roman Wilson, Donovan Edwards, and these tight ends specifically 
it's like a chess board with all queens. Like you can just move them around and all these different things. And it gives them so many advantages schematically. And I love to see Sharon Moore just so deep in his bag, understanding what they can and can't do, especially in the red zone. Like I hate when teams have big body receivers and tight ends and they don't do anything with them. Like it's one of your favorite things in football is a big bodied receiver. And now you've got two of them in tight ends this year. It's, it's incredible to watch. It's so much fun. I don't know why Iowa doesn't just run four tight end sets and just have no receivers at this point, which I guess would just be four personnel. I don't even know what you'd call that, <laughs> but they should do it. <laughs> we're going, we're going in four, no running backs. <laughs> at this point, they should switch over to it. Uh, we already talked offensive line. Anything else that you wanted to add? We got to see second team offensive line quite a bit. Uh, penalties started to rack up a little bit more uh, once second team came in, but uh, first team offensive line was, was just stout in this one. Very solid again. Um, only le- the last thing I would add is uh, Trevor Keegan had a good joke on Instagram. If anybody wants to check that out. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know that Keegs and the boys and everybody is uh, they're, they're also getting these Mel Tucker jokes off. It's, it's important. It's, it's important for everybody to get these off. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're number one. That's why you're number one. Um, all right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will look at the defense and then unfortunately we have to address this stupid thing that's happening at Michigan, but we've got some exciting stuff to talk about as well. When we come back right after this. All right, we are back. We are righteous men. College football is very good. Let's move over to the defense, sir. Uh, on the defensive side of things, uh, it's it's hard to take uh, take umbrage with a forty nine nothing victory here. Uh, Michigan is absolutely destroying destroying teams. This is the longest streak holding opponents under ten points per game since nineteen eighty one. Clemson currently the number one scoring defense at under six points per game, so under a touchdown per game. Uh, our defense has outscored has uh, has scored more touchdowns than they've allowed this season, which absurd is just stat. wild, absurd stat. Like that's one thing after week two. It's week eight. Yeah, <laughs> what are we doing here? So it was as impressive as the offense has been. I think you and I still have a little bit of a penchant for this defense, sir. So what's your 30,000 foot view of the defense? So when I predicted a shutout last week, I the only reason that gave me any pause was the scripted drive for the first 15 because their scripted drive against Rutgers was really crisp, really under control. And you saw it in this game. They had a pretty good scripted drive, got out there, and then they got stopped. And it was like once that stop happened on the first drive, it was over. Like the floodgates opened. Jesse Minter was just deep in his bag, like with blitzes, with stunts, rotating him. The stat during the game that no defensive lineman has played more than 35 snaps in a game this season. Wild. What is that? Like it was, it was crazy, man. They were rotating everybody in the back end, in the front, like everybody on the roster played just an unbelievable execution top to bottom on the defensive roster for the, I would just say the main starters, not even the starting 11, because basically this, they run two or three units at every position level. Absolutely wild that you house your opponent 49, nothing. And no one even needs to go take an ice bath. Cause nobody's even sore. Yeah. Like, no, no, I'm good. I, I had 10 plays out there. I'm feeling loose. Like you guys want to go get a little seven on seven in, go hit the gym. What do you want? <laughs> Gotta get some Pascal in. I need some work here. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I still got a lot of energy here. Yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> wild, man. So uh, let's start with who popped most, the defensive man of the match. Uh, obviously, Mikey Sainer still leading the nation in interception return yards, gets the pick six in this one, which uh, I love. We were being so spoiled as we're texting in this one. I mean, we're up like 28 nothing, and we're like, could use that pick six, though. You know, like, wouldn't hate a, <laughs> wouldn't hate a turnover right here. And then we get it, and we're like, yes, joyous. How about some orgy minutes? Wouldn't mind some orgy minutes. <laughs> Like, it was so funny out there you're just like i'd love a turnover right now that'd be the icing on it and then we get a couple at the end it's like ah oh, okay this this pleases me could have been 56 but i'll let that go um <laughs> my man of the match is junior colson uh i believe he's the first michigan player this year to record double digit tackles in a game there it is he's been very limited all season just because michigan's bowling team's out not playing starters in the fourth rotating more just because of the depth he finished this game with 11 total tackles two solo just all over the field just playing like the junior colson we know and love and like i feel like he hasn't gotten a lot of praise this year just because of where the numbers are because he hasn't been utilized that much so to see him just go out here and say okay i don't care if i'm playing for two and a half quarters i'm getting a double digit tackles in this one it was pretty cool to see absolutely tremendous look i still appreciate junior colson the numbers yeah. won't be there but the real ones will remember how good he was this season he has been great this season uh josiah stewart and mason graham both deserve some mention here great oh. josiah stewart game yeah. mason graham becoming the star on the defense that's that's really the big takeaway there is if you had to look to one guy that's kind of ascending above others uh it's thanos in the middle he's freaking unstoppable and yeah uh, you leave that guy unblocked do so at your own peril but even when you block him chip him get a, a running back in there it doesn't matter he takes on all comers so a lot of guys popped on the defense uh let's go alvin mack award for ferocity on the field uh since we're talking mason graham i'm gonna go with mason graham or the josiah stewart for uh ferocity on the field uh who do you got I have Derek Moore and Josiah Stewart on that second team pass rush duo. So like the starting pass rushers were Jalen Harrell and Braden McGregor, but the second unit, these two guys were especially like on third downs. I mean, they fly off the line of scrimmage and both of them are so physical at the apex. It was, Oh God, it was delightful to watch both of them go to work. Josiah Stewart, man, just does like plays above and beyond his frame. Yeah, he really does. We were concerned with the frame. We were wrong to do so. Like when you watch him out there, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah this guy is like a physical specimen. So yeah. like maybe he's a bit undersized, but every pound is used correctly and is used to his advantage. He's been awesome. Uh, Mason Graham, obviously, Derek Moore had a great game. McGregor had a great game yep. as well. So uh, we'll talk about the position groups as we get into them. Swinging doors moment on defense. Did you have anything for this, sir? Uh, the tunnel assault last year. <laughs> He's not wrong, folks. Uh, I had you get a stop on fourth draw on fourth down on the first drive, just setting the tone for the evening. A lot of a lot of tone setting stuff early on. Um, if MFU MSU was going to have any chance in this thing, they had to get out to a quick start, keep it close at the half. You go down seven nothing, give the ball at midfield to Michigan. That's a death sentence, absolute death sentence. So Michigan goes down. It's 14, nothing game over essentially. So yeah, that's, I mean, if you're going to pick one, it, it was that early. Like you had to score on that drive, at least keep the crowd in and put pressure on the Michigan team, you know, keep pace like they have to score. And once it got stopped there, it was, it, you could have just called the game. <laughs> 
I mean, we pretty much did call the game. Like as soon as they decided they were going to play, we're like, oh, well, we won. Uh, and that's just the way that was just the way that this night was always going to unfold. Uh, the Diner Sequence and Heat Award for Best Defensive Drive is brought to you by the team at Autograph. We're excited to announce, announce this next announcement. Tom Brady and the team at Autograph have just announced the release of game-changing new app that recognizes Michigan fans for their acts of fandom. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to all your favorite Michigan content, fan challenges, and exclusive rewards for diehard Wolverines, all for doing things you already do, like listening to this podcast. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Rewarding Fans and download it for free today. All right. The Diner Sequence and Heat Award for the best defensive drive of the day. What do you have, sir? I think my favorite thing about this is that names you continuously just come up for these awards. Like, <laughs> never fails to impress, sir. Uh, mine for this one is the third drive of the game. It's a three and out, but on the third down of this drive, they test Mikey with a slot fade. Now, this play has killed us against Michigan State in the past. I mean, 2021, they must have ran two or three to Jaden Reed, and it just kept causing us issues. It hurt Mikey earlier in the year. I believe it was the East Carolina game. They really burned him on one on a similar third down. Not this time. He was in perfect position, got his head around the ball, hit him in the helmet. He was in such perfect position, had his arms in the air as well. It, I, I know he's undersized, but he did everything just textbook on this play. Didn't get lulled to sleep in the backfield with the fake or anything, although it was third and four. He was dialed into his guy. I love this because it shows improvement and growth on his part and the entire defense's part. Look, there are very few things on this planet more aesthetically pleasing than a cornerback getting his head around in coverage. That's about as good as it gets right there. It's like a sunset, Grand Canyon, a woman in a sundress, <laughs> cornerback, <laughs> cornerback gets his head around properly. That's the list. It's the Jared hierarchy of things he loves to see. <laughs> that's the hierarchy of things you love to see right there. Uh, that's a great choice, man. I went with uh, up 21 nothing. seven minutes left. Um, in the first half at this point it uh, for Michigan State it's turnover on downs punt punt a uh, Marion Walker almost intercepts the first down pass and brother you're in real trouble if a Marion Walker is in and almost pitting is picking on you so I was like oh boy Marion Walker almost got one there all due respect to a Marion Walker but not exactly Will Johnson quite yet <laughs> uh, next play they try the inside handoff Junior Colson delivers a mean hit and does the Devin Bush scream or very similar to the Devin Bush scream I heard that so I was I was like, oh, oh, adjust. That was that was the second pair of pants right there. And then third and seven, Minter brings pressure, completely unconcerned that Hauser has a chance to stand and deliver, and Mason Graham just devours him. They get off the field, another punt, and uh, Michigan would eventually go up 28-0 there. So that's my defensive drive of the day brought to you by Autograph. God, just um, all the Mason Graham minutes of this thing are just like, like – <laughs> When he's on the field at a third down, like it feels unfair. Like, I can't remember watching yeah. a sophomore defensive tackle at Michigan ever do this. Like, and no. he's doing it with one good hand. No, 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 definitely not. Let's go back on this one. So, I mean, Maurice Hurst probably would be the closest thing, but I mean, as he's a sophomore, than Mo we Hurst as a sophomore. He's, def he's definitely better than Mo Hurst at this point already. So, no, I, I, I would, I would know it if there's been somebody better than Mason Graham this early. Yeah, I got to go back and grind some early Allen Branch, but it's not coming to me right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of youngsters, uh, award for youngster on defense. I had a Marion Walker written down, just spoke about him highly getting his hands on a ball. Dewan Waller 
came DJ. in in this one. DJ Waller. Uh, we, I mean, if you don't know who that is, we hadn't talked about him really on this podcast much at all. He is a true freshman this year. 6'3", recruit out of Youngstown, Ohio. Recruited as a safety. Came in and played safety. And they put him out there pretty early in this one. You send me the Waller minutes. I assumed you misspelled Walker. Because I was like, <laughs> Waller? Like, who's Waller? And then I, I had to go look at the 247 recruits. Totally forgot about Dewan Waller. Yeah, he, play, he was playing corner in this one. They had him at corner. Oh, was he really? Yeah, he was playing corner in this game. At 6'3", I think he might have jumped Keyshawn Harris in the rotation. That's what also. it looked like for the way they've been going through. No, he's one that jumped for me. DJ Waller is. And uh, Jaden McBurrows closing the game with an interception a year after the tunnel assault. Mikey Sainer still giving his flowers during a national interview. I mean, you couldn't even write that. Yeah, was definitely uh, going to touch on this later when we got to cornerbacks, but let's let's certainly touch on it now. The Jaden McBurrows moment, absolute icing on the cake for this. I mean, if you were just hoping for any type of narrative to put a bow on this whole situation, Jaden McBurrows getting that interception was the bow on this. That's awesome. I mean, you can tell that the team really likes that guy. They all rallied around him. They were all very cognizant of what happened yep. last year at his situation and what it meant for him to be there on that field. So what are the odds of that to be honest and I know. how can you not get romantic about college football that's all i have to say exactly man so nice to see it so nice to see so many young guys jimmy roller got in this game first hey game yo. back from everything so he still has three more games to play in this season so it's like a lot of young guys are getting a ton of early reps and this is going to pay dividends in the future i'm with you what was your adjust the britches moment on defense the mikey pick six come on now like, I mean, you and I talked about it. We're getting spoiled here. We're talking, we're picking nits about what we want to see in the second half, just trying to stay engaged as like obsessive fans. Like, pick six here would please me. And then all of a sudden he he just baits him into it, has his eyes back, recognized the formation, got the pick, and then just took off. Stayed in bounds, which was perfect. No one could touch him down the sideline. Uh, tied for the nation's lead in pick sixes. Uh, this team has tied the Michigan single season program record for pick sixes in a season. You already said he leads the uh, entire NCAA in return yards this year. He would have had another pick six against East Carolina if he hadn't gotten tackled by the turf monster in space. So just having a hell of a season, man. Just a monster, monster year for Mikey Sainra still. Already mentioned the junior Colson hyena laugh. That was great for me. Uh, how about McGregor coming unblocked, opening drive, swallowing up the running back, first TFL for the day, McGregor being a Michigan native. That was awesome to he's see. so big. Uh, he's, he's, huge. he's a large human being. And look, I've said it a million times, just looks like evil Hutch out there. And uh, yeah, I'm absolutely here for it. Like watching Braden McGregor play. And uh, yeah, the Michigan native getting in for the TFL. That was great. Also took the rather nasty hit to the back of the head that the, the gentleman or the, the not the gentleman, the, the character from Michigan State was expelled for a dangerous, dangerous hit to the back of McGregor's head. So I'm glad he's OK. Let's go position by position. Go through this, sir. Uh, the defensive tackles and the defensive ends. Let's start with the tackles here. Kenneth Grant, we've already talked a lot about Mason Graham, but Kenneth Grant's ability to get his hands up, to penetrate, he's so much more than a big-bodied run-gap yes. filler. Like He does things that smaller defensive tackles do, more agile defensive tackles. He can penetrate. He gets his hands up. He can obviously fill run lanes, but he just offers you so much. He's going to be really, really freaking good. 
Yes, he is outstanding. Uh, getting his hands up reminds me of like um, it's an old callback to uh, some Jaguars defensive tackles in like the early 2000s. It was uh, Marcus Stroud, I believe, and John Henderson. And they were Call so back. good. Yes, yeah, so good at knocking down the balls, man. I mean, it was just incredible. Uh, but Grant's even better at this level at dropping in the coverage. Like he should have had an interception last week. He fills lanes really well, has a great feel for coverage, which isn't something you say about a defensive tackle a lot, but obviously Mender feels comfortable with him. He's comfortable in the system. And I thought he, Graham and Jenkins really controlled this game by just dominating the interior. Yeah. Great Jenkins game. Great Graham game. Those three guys were incredible in this one. And yeah, Kenneth Grant like has hops and gets back into coverage like at 300. What did he get down to? 320? No, he got down to 339. Oh yeah. He got down to 340. So congrats on the weight loss, Ken, uh, to get down to 340 and still has more hops than I do and can get back into coverage. Just a freak, freak specimen. Uh, defensive ends, let's go over there. Uh, we, obviously, we we touched on Josiah Stewart. We can talk about Braden McGregor. Your guy, Derek Moore, had a good game. But there's we, we cannot bury the lead here. Guy Island, now <laughs> with plumbing. Welcome. We've got potable water on Guy Island. We're collecting <laughs> rainwater. And we are growing <laughs> crops. I mean, it is it is booming baby business is booming on guy island it's been you and me out there just <laughs> signaling for passing ships for weeks and then guy island dj guy comes in and gets a sack baby we're here we, we have been holding this jolly roger for two years ever since he got like a sack i think it was the iowa game or the maryland game in 2021 and we have not left the island i mean we have been close to starvation i had to learn how to desalinize the water but baby we're back Got a sack of this one. It was so awesome to see. I think my favorite thing about the edges this year is we only had it last year in spurts of like good third down rushes. Like you'd see it occasionally from Morris, sometimes from a Yabi Yoki. But this year when it's third down and an obvious passing down, I just expect the edges and the interior for that matter to get pressure. It's like they turn it up another gear. And I love to see that because like it was missing at critical times last year. We'll see how it is against Penn State and Ohio State. But as of right now, the edge is just like when we need to get a pass rush, they deliver. Absolutely, man. I'm still holding out to see against the elevated competition of Penn State and Ohio State who can win on the edges one on one. But as a unit, there's nobody that this entire unit can't collapse and no line this unit can't capsize. So as far as like who is the best individual pass rusher, I think we're still trying to figure that out. But as a unit, it is deep. It is talented. And they are really buoyed by those guys in the middle that you just cannot single up. So it's it, great unit right now. They do so much with uh, using Barrett as a blitzer as well, like doubling up uh, two ends on one side, only running out one tackle in the middle because Jenkins can handle a whole bunch on his own. I think another thing that impresses me with the edges too is they don't, they, they never get too far upfield. They're always disciplined in their rush to like collapse around you. So there's no escapability outside of it. Like it's going to be a, like, it's just so cool to see their discipline. And that was a problem with Josiah Stewart earlier this year, trying to go out of his lane and it would open up ways for the quarterbacks to escape. But now it's just like a convergence from like four, all four or five or six players from the defensive line, just smothering you. And there really is no escape. 
Yeah, very difficult to run inside, but in past, uh, with past Michigan defenses, there have been some teams, the trickier teams, the teams with faster backs that could get to the outside, have not seen that at all this yeah. season. So you don't worry about the Nick Singletons or the Travion Hendersons at all getting outside because the discipline that we've got with our edge group. So that's a great call out there. Linebackers was, uh, as you mentioned, the best junior Colson game of the year so far. Michael Barrett got stiff-armed a little bit by Nate Carter, but Nate Carter's a good running back. Yep. yep, and and he bounced back and, and ended up having a strong game. So I thought this was a good linebackers day. I didn't even notice Jimmy Rolder out there, so that's mm -hmm. a good call out there. Uh, that's another island that uh, yeah, we could use some shelter on that island, but uh, you know we we got time there. That's all right. We got time. Houseman continues to play like a madman. He plays with such ferocity. For like you hear him speak, it's similar to Mason Graham when Mason Graham does interviews. It's just like. Yeah, you know, the, the guys are good. You know, we're giving effort. But when he's on the field, it's like, just like attacking you like a rat tyrannosaurus. <laughs> it's so funny to see that juxtaposition. Uh, Ernest Hausman, tremendous in this one. Barrett, after the stiff arm on the first drive, you knew he would bounce back after that. He did. Continues to be a phenomenal blitzer in this one. Did a great job on their assignments the rest of the game. Yep, I have no notes. Well said, sir. Let's move to the cornerbacks here. We spoke briefly about Amarian Walker, who I thought acquitted himself well. Dewan Waller, uh, who I thought came in there as safety, but I uh, was incorrect there. So that's interesting. Those are very large human beings out there playing the cornerback position. So that's something to keep an eye on. But the starting quarterback, cornerbacks in this one played extremely well once again. Will Johnson not really tested uh, no. once again. I mean, and when he was made the tackle immediately, I think there was like one completion on him. Obviously, Mikey Sainer is still with the big play of the day. It's been a great unit. I think Josh Wallace has acquitted himself well. I don't really have too much to add to this. They continue to impress across the board. This group had two interceptions, and they could have had five. That's the craziest <laughs> stat about this. Like uh, All the W names, Wallace, Waller, and Walker, all had a good chance at getting one. And eventually, they're going to start coming up with those. The younger guys, I'm a little more forgiving with the reps. I think Josh Wallace will come up with the next one that comes his way like that. Uh, I still need Will Johnson to stop giving so much cushion sometimes on these guys. Like, Will, you're faster than them. I can promise you that. This is Michigan State, but I'm nitpicking at this point. Another tremendous game all around. Yeah, these are nitpicks. Anything that you want to say on the negative side is going to be a nitpick when you get two interceptions and Jaden McBurrow gets amends for the, the evil deeds done towards him. Uh, didn't Jermon Green even have a tackle on this one, too? I think he did. Yeah, I think he did. Yeah, yeah. older yeah. brother. Or, or not the older twin brother. brother. Yeah, the twin brother of uh, Jamon Green, who's somewhere in the world right now. I'm not exactly sure where, but he's out there. He is alive. He is alive. We can confirm that. Uh, safeties. Uh, anything that you wanted to touch on with the safeties? Makari Page actually had his good name game. called once or twice in this one. It was a really good Makari Page game. I was glad it's, to see that. It was a, uh, a good Rod Moore game. Getting back to form. Really looked comfortable out there in the scheme. Makari Page was outstanding around the line of scrimmage in this game. I thought it was one of his best of the season, especially on that third down when Michigan was crowding the line, they tried to stretch it out wide. Makari was one of the key people there, just doing his assignment, not over-pursuing or allowing it, forcing him to the outside. He missed the tackle, but he forced him into another one. So it's almost like you should get like the hockey assist tackle there. I just thought he was excellent around the line of scrimmage and a very sure tackler all night. Well said. Safety's absolutely rounding back into form. Not that they were ever really out of form this year, but, you know, they just need to get their feet back under them yeah. with some, uh, you know, movement in the lineup. So good to see Rod Moore back out there. And the Rod Moore, Makari Page, Will Johnson, Mikey Sainer still. That is just, 
that's so much ammo back there. It is so nice to see all those guys back there. And I think we like Josh Wallace as well. That is a really, really talented secondary uh, special teams, sir. Anything catch your eye there? Yeah, dude, you already know where I'm going, baby. Tommy Dobin hits nukes. That's all he does. He wakes up and thinks about nukes. He kicks nukes. And when it's against a rival, he kicks even bigger nukes. And this one, he had four punts for 187 yards, just under a 47 yards a punt. Had a, uh, a long of 52. Just another outstanding game from one of the best doing it right now. This was a tremendous punting weekend in college football. Um, really saw some wonderful, wonderful punts. I love that just the older we get, the more we're like, you know what I care for? A good old-fashioned punt. Dude, was it the corner. Ohio State game? That guy hit like a 75-yard punt, and you and I were texting like, I know you saw like, that. It's <laughs> like, oh my God, perfectly executed. Did you see it? Yeah, this was a good Doman game. Absolutely, he stood out for me. James Turner really has yeah. righted the ship. There was like some early wobbles there, and I think he's been pretty steady ever since. Uh, Tyler Morris had to work quite a bit being the punt returner. Not the best Tyler Morris day. I don't know if we're going to get somebody this season that we absolutely love as a punt or kick returner it might just be one of those seasons where like you know just field it and and we'll take it from there to be honest i'm, I'm still on jake thought island like gnawing on bone and rocks but like, <laughs> <laughs> he's at least sure-handed so that might be what we have to go with the rest of the season but yeah i don't know if we're gonna get it all there but <laughs> still rotating guys it's on thaw thaw island having to eat your own flesh at this point it's just times are dark situation is dour not as bad as O'Leary Island, so it's doing better than that. <laughs> yeah. O'Leary Island, you're just a corpse. You're dead. <laughs> Anybody on O'Leary Island? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that is so funny, sir. Um, all right. Uh, I think that's. I think we've covered everything there. Let's, uh, let's do our quick hits here at the back half. You got some hockey updates for us, sir? Yes. Uh, good hockey weekend. I didn't take a split this weekend. Ended up coming away with a win and a tie. Gained four points in the standings against Ohio State. Uh, some of my biggest takeaways were Barzo, Jacob Barshevsky, and Nett is really settling into form, looked much better all weekend. Uh, Tyler Duke, the Ohio State transfer, Dylan Duke's little brother, is really acquitting himself nicely, brings a nice physicality and just a nastiness to this defense that I think they were in dire need of. Uh, Rucker McGordy continues to dominate offensively. I believe he's still either first or second in the nation in scoring this year. He did have his 13-game point streak stopped in the uh, second game this weekend, but still just continues to like progress at an absurd pace. And just this team has taken a massive leap this year, not in scoring because you're just not going to you're not going to replace like the Adam Fantilli effect last year or even the Mackie Samuskevich minutes, but like the neutral zone defense from this time last year to now is night and day. Like his team is defending so much better, using their speed both ways to play two-way hockey, really shutting down the transition. And I just think they're like that in Brandon Narado's second year, they're really getting a full team identity with like a rounded out coaching staff. And I think they're going to, Round out in the form and surprise some people this season. We have Lindenwood this weekend. It's a good chance for a sweep to really just get some momentum, advance to five and two on the year. But they're seeing a lot of encouraging signs right now from this young team. I'd add something, but wouldn't know what to say. Well said, sir. I uh, will start paying attention to hockey as it gets a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Once the season gets rolling up a little bit, you'll have to tell me when it's time to start tuning in the must sees. You know, I got game. you. Absolutely. That's what you're there for. Um, God, we got to do it. 
Right? There's nothing else. We can't keep drawing it off. We got to talk about the NCA investigation and what's going on at the University of Michigan. The alleged sign stealing. It's, I guess, a scandal at this point. Um, when it first came out, I think a lot of the Michigan faithful, you and I included, were like, show us evidence. This is all hearsay. Why is this being leaked? Well, very recently, before we came on and recorded, an ESPN report came out with some more detail, and that detail, it goes uh, it goes pretty in-depth on exactly what was accused of happening here by Connor Stallions, a UM staffer who is currently suspended with pay, who was, according to this report, using his personal credit card to buy tickets for family members and friends, allegedly. We don't exactly know who it was. And then they were going to the games and recording. This happened with dozens, apparently, at dozens of games. And there were tickets purchased for the Penn State-Ohio State game on both sides of the field, right around the 45-yard line. It's a mess. Um, it's a, got a little bit more legs than it initially seemed like. Let's just have a discussion about it, sir, because I I opened up the podcast tonight before we, we logged on, and I was pretty depressed because I started hearing things like banners coming down and forfeiting wins. And I got to tell you, if that's what this leads to, like that is going to be about as bad, about as disheartening for a lot of people as we could imagine. Oh yeah, man. And then you saw my face and you got perked right up. You know, we started talking about, <laughs> we started talking ball and we got better. Uh, this, this situation is very fluid. It continues to unfold. It's very much like it's a lot in the gray and it's hard to like specify who knew what, where the money was coming. This uh, employee, Connor Stallions, uh, who purchased the tickets in his name is only making $55,000 a year. So I don't know what the bankroll is coming from. I don't know if he's paying. He's not paying anybody on staff. The rumor is or the speculation is he's paying like family members and friends to watch games, which is, again, a big gray area because it's not somebody on the staff. Is he just exploiting a loophole in this case? I don't know what that is. So it's a lot more to dive into as the story continues to unfold. Uh, NCA is still investigating. Jim Harbaugh is holding his ground, says he has no, no knowledge of it. It seems like one of the initial thoughts was this guy was kind of acting on his own to make a name for himself, but he wasn't at these games recording. It seems he was buying tickets. The uh, vast network of spies is one of the, the funnier descriptions of it. It's like this guy was buying tickets with his own credit card. This isn't a vast network of anything of spies. Like it wasn't that well thought. It was pretty brazen. So I'm interested to see how it unfolds. I don't think it's going to be a quick fix. I think it's going to be drawn out. It's a lot to do in the gray, man. It's like, it's hard to specify like what is rule breaking and what is it when he's doing this, like as an employee, but employees aren't the ones making videos. If they are making videos, they still have to prove that aspect, but evidence supposedly on the way. So we're learning this in real time as well. A lot to unpack there. You're absolutely right. I see low-level staffer buys tickets using his own name and sends family members there. That doesn't reek of conspiracy from the top down. That doesn't seem like corporate espionage at the highest level. It kind of seems like a dude that... Uh, advertised himself as being a military tactical genius but look marines all right why don't you go ahead and, and take a playoff or two here like <laughs> you're not the special forces all right i'm i'm a former navy guy myself so i can like at least talk about veterans here and some of this whole like oh they're marines and they're using tactical warfare to steal signs like this is a guy and his buddies probably filming with a cell phone 
is what it's most likely going to boil down to. No, I don't know. And if it ends up being worse and this did come from the top down, then that's certainly going to change my opinion of Jim yeah. Harbaugh and this coaching oh, yeah. staff. But does that seem like something that Jim Harbaugh, who preaches day in and day out about doing things the right way at every level of life, is going to do to take a recently separated from the military Marine and be like, use your skills to break the rules and get us an advantage. That's really not that big of an advantage because you still need to be able to execute this like in game and use these signals in real time, which is going to be difficult. So, no, I would be extremely surprised if this comes from the top down and it shows like some institutional failings by Michigan. But the fact of the matter remains is that this is going to linger. Like you said, this is not getting solved anytime soon. And now Michigan's going to have cheaters attached to their name for the next whatever, two years until yeah. they can get this thing resolved. It's it's uh, the more you talk about it, the funnier and sillier it seems. It's like, okay, this guy's perching with his own card, having friends video it. Then you see like sitting down and like analyzing the film, like, astutely like the, the guy who bought it with his own credit card like all right yeah this is this one this is that like you have three guys doing signs signs are constantly changing every week ohio state is on the record saying they changed all of their signs before the 2022 game last year had no effect michigan state for theater this past week ran to the sideline and whispered it like oh a game God. of like password or something it was very silly so i think it had little to no outcome on the actual effect of this again every team steals like signs that's not illegal. It's just about the method of which they were obtained is what's under scrutiny. Right. So in order to prove that this is bad enough to like take down banners and stuff, and we don't know because this is the NCAA. They are a pizza burn on the roof of the world's mouth. They are the organizational <laughs> embodiment of widespread leprosy. If honesty and decency are Game of Thrones season seasons one through six, the NCAA is season eight episodes five and six. <laughs> what a deep cut that I get. <laughs> that you get nobody else gets the NCA is the absolute worst. So to expect them to do the right thing here, to do this in a timely manner, do not. And the last thing I really want to make sure that I get said about this is they have a reason to go after Jim Harbaugh. As soon as he went after the golden goose and said that players should be getting a share of this revenue, they had an absolute reason to come after him. Like you can say what you want about the NCA publicly. You can rag on other coaches. You can rag on bowl selections. You can hate the officials. You do not come after the money and as soon as Jim Harbaugh did that he got a target on his back and you know that and the fact that Ryan Day is a whiny little bitch pardon my French and is very likely the one that started all this because he doesn't like getting beat by Michigan he doesn't nope. like that he's not good enough to beat Jim Harbaugh fair and square so he wants to whine and cry wolf about all this stuff well how stupid is it going to be when you roll into town in November and all the signs have been changed and we house you by 35 so I'm angry. I'm not going to lie. I'm upset by this. The fact that like the best run of Michigan football of my lifetime, like finally, I mean, 20 years of misery of waiting for this. And now you're telling me they might take down the banners. It's extremely unlikely. That is the worst case scenario, but yeah. I'm angry, man. I'm angry that it could come to that. And if it turns out this Connor Stallions kid was doing this, sorry, dude, go to hell. Like, I'm sorry. Like if he did this on his own without being prompted and brought this on the university, that dude sucks should be fired and never allowed near another program. Rant. Yeah. Over. 
Yeah, I feel like at the very least he's going to get a show cause or something. Like, I don't think he's going to return in any way. I would be shocked if that happens. Uh, you touched on a lot there. The Ryan Day thing, Sam Webb has been all over this. Ryan Day has lost to five teams since taking over full-time in 2019, and he's accused officially on record two of them of sign-stealing Clemson in 2020, Georgia last year with cameras at the Peach Bowl before the game, and most are speculating that he's the one that prompted this investigation. So it'd make three out of five when all those in the know kind of know Ohio State and Ryan Day have been just sign stealing for years but it's okay because that's football but again it's the method of which they were obtained and if it was if Connor Steins is doing this man it's it's gonna suck like it's just it's not gonna be fun especially if one guy is going rogue and doing this for his own name and he takes away from what these kids and Harbaugh and the people that are really making a difference built and it's undone by just Connor Stallions this made up name stupid made up name from a porn movie ridiculous <laughs> So, yeah, but again, we're going to see how all this unfolds. We're going to cover it, but we at least had to touch on it today as it's still in its infancy, but growing. Yeah, and I'd be fine if we don't touch on it again until there's a resolution. I mean, if there are breaks in the case and things to update you with, we will do so. But I just kind of wanted to get this all out there now, yeah. much like with the cheeseburger investigation. We didn't want to spend a lot of time on it. <laughs> cheeseburger. Oh, this is so stupid. <laughs> it's funny. It's uh, The reporting surrounding this is hilarious to me because everybody that's breaking like the smallest things acts like this is Watergate. Like, it's just like the big time journalism. Like, this is what it is. Look at this. Look at it. Look how important I am. I know this. And it's all, so much of it is hyperbolic. I mean, anytime there's any kind of thing like this, they're comparing it to the Patriots. Like, it is way worse. They will burn in hell for what they did on this field. Like, guys, take a break. Quit, quit quoting Shakespeare. Like, it's going to unfold. Just please report it. We'll see what happens. And you, again, I, I'm with you. We'll touch on it again when it's over. Yeah, or when there's something that breaks in it. But how could it possibly be worse than the Patriots thing when you and I could go buy tickets on the 45, go do what he was doing and put it on YouTube, Yeah, and Jim Harbaugh could access it that way? Yeah. Like, these are games that are filmed in 4K. Yeah. So, like, I just don't understand how it's that big of a deal. Like, I, I, I know, man. I like, you have the game copy. You can break it down there. You can do it live. Like, there's so many ways. Like, grainy cell phone footage, like, taped by his military buddies. Like, hey, I'll send it to you later. It's like, again, the guy's not on staff. Like, he's not being yeah. paid. Like, like, it's, yeah, it's going to be very gray. Very gray. That's all I can say. I, I do enjoy that me and my Navy buddies are going to get a good laugh about the Marine that's like excellent tactical skills and use of Michigan of military technology to gain a competitive advantage. And it's like, Film what did you do? Snapchat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tactical advantage. Tactical advantage. Sweet, Connor. Awesome. Oh, all right. Enough of that. Let's talk around the Big Ten, sir. It was an interesting week in the Big Ten. Let's start at the top. Penn State versus Ohio State. Quote from James Franklin after the game. I'm not sure if we didn't just watch two of the best teams in college football. I am sure we didn't just watch two <laughs> teams in college football. So uh, go, you go ahead and go off, James Franklin. But I am definitely not afraid of Penn State anymore. Uh, this team does not trust um uh, Drew Aller to throw the ball at all. I mean, he is completely neutered back there. They do not trust him to do anything. I mean, Penn State is built like 
a, a better Michigan State. Like it's the same car, just a newer mm. model with an inconsistent like quarterback who loves to check down. Solid running backs, limited outside w- weapons, question marks on both lines of scrimmage, good linebackers, and Penn State's better in the secondary. Like that's how they're built. Like you can see the frame on both. And it's like the defense in this one did their job. Like Penn State's offense was just nowhere to be found. Drew Aller couldn't establish anything. I mean, I've called him Captain Checkdown, like just kind of in jest for several weeks now. But my God, Captain Checkdown would be an improvement from what we saw in this one. Yeah, the competition really, really took a jump for Penn State. They had not played anybody close to Ohio State up until this point. So I really wanted to see how they did against this Jim Knowles defense, which is improved from last year. There are real players on it. No Denzel Ward in this one, but I like Igben Nosen. I like JT Tumaloao. And quite frankly, they absolutely dominated this Penn State offense. Their inability to get anything going on the ground. Like, what is the identity of this Penn State offense? I could not tell you. Um, I, I don't really know what they want to be. So I'm, I'm worried about them as far as like, what does this do to their psyche? And are they a little bit exposed after that? Cause I think they're still quite a bit away from being on the Ohio state and Michigan level. Whereas everyone thought this was the breakthrough year. I don't see it. I don't see it for Penn state, which is fine by me. I mean, we're not James Franklin supporters by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought maybe they would show a little something that maybe they'd close the gap. They have not. And uh, props to the Ohio State defense in this one. They were able to get the ball enough to Marvin Harrison to make it count. But, yeah, I, I walk away unimpressed with either. It's it's honestly, man, the Ohio State is like the same old Ohio State. Like if you just want to go back and just look at the month of October, for example, two years ago, they had the fifth best scoring defense in the month of October. Last year it was 15th. This year it's 10th. It's like – this is what Ohio State does in the middle of the season. Like they do this really well against these teams. And it's the the Michigans that have tend to give them the issues the last couple of years. It's like I love every year. It's like now every year's the Ohio State defense has improved. That's been the narrative since the end of 2020. 2020, hey, they're looking good after Oregon, top rushing defense in the country. Michigan blows them out. It's like, well, you know, they weren't that good against the run. Last year, <laughs> good defense all season. Jim Knowles really has them playing good. Gives up explosives to Michigan, does the same thing against Georgia. It's like, well, you know, they weren't that good. You know, they gave up explosives. And now this year, it's the same thing over and over again. They just keep shifting the goalposts and moving them. So while I'm not completely sold on them yet, I think it's the same story. I was a little disappointed in Penn State in this one. Because, like, we thought this was going to take a leap for them. We thought it was going to be the step. You talked about some of the playing uh, personnel decisions. I was texting you, like, why isn't Nicholas Singleton starting? Why didn't he get touches until the third drive? Like, and then he was going off, but then they'd immediately pull him for Katron Allen. Like, the play sequencing was weird. Urich calling plays, like, it was all over the place. I didn't get it. They don't trust Aller. That's evident. They were kind of getting pushed around. Just no adjustments. And it's like, Penn State's. It seems like they're going to go 10 and 2, 11 and 2 again, but it seems like there's a, a a just massive gap between the top two teams in the Big 10 East and Penn State. Bruce Feldman today on Ryan Rosillo's podcast said Penn State could probably win the Big 12 or the ACC, but they have two of the best teams in the country in their division and they're just going to continue to be thrust in the middle as long as they're there. It's completely accurate. I don't see anything that suggests that they're ready to take that leap. They thought that Aller was going to be that guy and he could still be good. Uh, I didn't see anything in that game that suggests that he's going to get on JJ McCarthy level level looks no. closer to a Wilton Spate to me. But, <laughs> yes. 
you know, we'll 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 see what what he's able to do. But yeah, you were totally right with just some of the play calling decisions and not getting Catron Allen and Singleton involved and not having that be a focal part of your offense. It's just what are they? What are they trying to be? And Manny Diaz hit like I do believe this, and Jake Butt echoed it as well that Manny Diaz has their defense playing at a level that they hadn't really played at before, and they're they're kind of squandering that. Manny Diaz was one of the best hairlines in all of football. Uh, it <laughs> had a great defense last year, though. I mean, they finished ninth in scoring defense, allowed 18 points a game. They have one of the best rushing defenses. But they, again, they gave it 400 yards to Michigan. It's like, mm-hmm. are, are you, you can, just good against beating up this? Because, I mean, statistically, Penn State has the weakest Big Ten conference schedule of any Big Ten team. They avoid a lot of the crossovers. They get Michigan and Ohio State here on the east. But, like, the rest of those games are so much easier and what like everybody else has to play. And it's like, it's so hard for me to believe in anything they're doing. Uh, and, keep, and just going back to Aller, man, he just looks so raw. Like it's very much first year starting quarterback energy. And he just looks timid back there, likes to get the ball out quick, not very mobile at all. But yeah, man, just came away kind of disappointed in Penn State. Yeah, we had initially early in the season, I think, yeah, I don't remember what you picked, but I picked them to beat Michigan preseason. And my reasoning was stupid. It was just, it's very difficult to go back to back seasons undefeated. I didn't, I, I was like that. That's my only reason. Uh, I'm going to tell you now, I am not predicting that Penn state team to beat Michigan when it comes time to make our predictions for that one. There's just no way. And uh, James Franklin remains not that dude, but we'll, uh, we'll see what, uh, what stands next for them. We've got Penn state after Purdue. So it's on the horizon. We've got bye week Purdue, then Penn state. So you can start looking towards that. I am still excited for that game, but like you said, just took some of the luster off of it. Uh, moving on Rutgers, well, Ohio Hollywood. state thoughts though. What do you think about Ohio state? Uh, Ohio state, I think is the least frightening Ohio state team of the last decade. I am not worried about that team at all. Like you said, it's a very similar team, but you just replaced CJ Stroud with Kyle McCord and you're less dynamic at the quarterback position. They, their fans seem to think that this defense is like vastly improved from last year and is built to stop Michigan while they are a good defense. Like I said, and Penn state is a good defense that statistically, can they stop a Michigan team? I really don't think they're built to do that. And Michigan is a great defense, not a good defense and a great offense. So no, I, I would predict Michigan right now. If you asked me, I'd be like 42, 25 again. Like Michigan is Michigan is way better than Ohio state right now. And they still have Marvin Harrison jr. But like, as, as that being your, your lifeline, is that enough to beat a team as well-rounded that executes like Michigan does, that doesn't beat themselves, that has a quarterback like No, I, I don't see it, but what were your thoughts? And Michigan's not going to leave uh poor God. Uh, what's his face? The corner uh, for, Penn State, who we like, what's his name? Kalen King. Kalen King. Poor Kalen King. Just left him out there one-on-one with Harrison. Over and over again. Like, send him help. Like, Abuka's out of the game. Like, make somebody else beat you in this one consistently. And they just let Harrison Jr. take over. Yeah, we were talking about this offline, about, like, the fear level. Like, last year going into Columbus, yeah, you're damn right. I was nervous and scared of what they could do in Columbus. Two years ago, with that trio of receivers, a good offensive line, Travion Henderson healthy, like Stroud in the form. Like, yeah, I was scared then too, but it's like, I'm not going to be scared of Kyle McCord, especially on, on like a huge road game at Michigan in the cold, everything going on surrounding it. Like, 
I just I, I feel good about the matchup. I know they were still down some weapons, like uh, running back injuries are piling up for them, receiver injuries are piling up for them, uh, corner injuries as well. But it's like on the lines of scrimmage, there's a lot of question marks. Like it's going to be very interesting to see how they line up against Michigan because it's going to be one of those weird years where it's like you and I have to keep checking ourselves about feeling too confident, like about certain things. But like I saw what we saw on this weekend, and it kind of just made us feel a little bit better. Yeah, and I don't believe that Ohio State fans even believe that, that like this defense is built to stop Michigan. And it's like, all right, I mean, who have you played? Do you think the Notre Dame offense is some juggernaut? I can tell you for a fact the Penn State isn't. And those are the, the wins that you're really leaning on. Those are not explosive, dynamic offenses. They do not have a quarterback even close to the level of J.J. No. McCarthy. They do not have an offensive identity like Michigan does. Clatt had a really great piece on his podcast this week about why the other teams struggle this week and Michigan didn't and it's because the things that we do well you can rely on week in and week out things like physicality doesn't matter like what the weather is it doesn't matter if your quarterback's on things like execution and good tackling and good defense and having an identity on offense all these little things that Michigan do make them kind of immune to having the off weeks and it makes it so that you just have to be executing perfectly and if Ohio State comes in and executes absolutely perfectly versus Michigan of course they can still beat them I mean yeah. I'm not I'm not ridiculous here I mean obviously I've experienced the last 20 years but <laughs> no with what we've seen this year I, this is the least concerned I've been about that contest in a long time it's a weird feeling to say man but it was a game to watch that we thought was going to be a lot more exciting than it was but Ohio State got the win I think it's going to make the Penn State environment in two weeks just absolutely awesome because Penn State has to win to try to force the three-way tie. So we're going to see everything they got. James Franklin back against the wall. Let's see how he handles the pressure of that. And the history's taught us anything. He's not going to handle it well. No, probably not. I would expect him to be arrested in an Aldi's by the end of the week. Uh, all right. Rutgers is bowl eligible. Congrats to Greg Schiano and the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. Very difficult place to win. And they have officially become bowl eligible in October. Did not see this coming. I'm not going to lie. I thought maybe bowl game was possible. But to get there this early, this is quite a turnaround for Rutgers. So so props to them. Also, we already beat them. So it looks good. Uh, looks good on us. Yeah, and UNLV moved to six and one on the season, and they are bowl eligible after beating Colorado State. So, like, those two teams being bowl eligible is good for the old resume. Uh, Nebraska and Minnesota are both four and three, and even Bowling Green is three and three on the year now. So, I mean, schedule might have been weak with some teams, but at least they're winning games. That's all you can ask for. Uh, Minnesota, Iowa. Did you happen to tune into that one? Great game tough tough ending i gotta say that cooper DeGene is an iowa legend and you've got to let legends be legendary uh he allegedly calls for the fair catch but looked like he was just pointing to the punt they call the fair catch and they they wave off a brilliant punt return touchdown that essentially would have sealed it iowa couldn't get anything going on offense and then of course cooper DeGene just doing what Cooper DeGene does. It was a shame. Such a bummer for Iowa to lose that way, but that opens the door in the Big Ten West. That was an elite punt return, man. So <laughs> cool. That was an elite punt return. Cooper DeGene, one of the best players in the country, outstanding cornerback and returner. Just what he brings from a dynamism standpoint is just remarkable. Yeah, they got hosed. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They got hosed. If it was the rule that he broke, it's a bad rule. We need to amend it immediately, do something else with it because 
if, if you called it during it and blew it dead, that's one thing. But the fact the play played out and it was never blown dead is just right. kind of an egregious kind of just frankly bullshit call. Right. To call it afterwards to watch that, like who's got money on the game? Like what yeah. would be the reason to take that away? Like in Iowa, Iowa legend Cooper DeGene, like, come on, man. Just just let the good people of a of Iowa have that. That was a shame. Uh, Nebraska. Are they going to make a bowl? They're going to make a bowl in Matt Rule's first season. Remaining opponents for uh, Nebraska needing two more wins. Purdue, Michigan State, Maryland, Wisconsin, Iowa. This is very much on the table. Yeah, I think they beat Purdue and Michigan State, and they very well could beat Maryland too. Like, yeah, I think. I mean, I'm not. I mean, God, Iowa. Wow, what a finish! They could hell. They could win. They could beat Iowa. Those, they could win all yeah. of those games. They're all winnable. That would be yeah. wild. Good yeah. on Matt I mean, Rule, but I think the best thing that happened to him this season still is the fact that Henrik uh, or was Henrik Heiberg or Harburg Harburg, took yep. over his quarterback because he's just worlds yep. better than Jeff Sims. It gives him a chance. Yeah, he is a lot better than Jeff Sims. I uh, got to hear Jake Butt on the call in that game. I was four screen and trying to catch as much of it as I could, but there was a lot of good games. Uh, anything else from around the country that you wanted to touch on? We always already touched on North Carolina, some of the other struggles, Arizona State and Washington. Anything nationally that you wanted to hit? <laughs> the fact that we saw the joke this week that like, uh, Gus Johnson kept calling Marvin Harrison Jr. Maserati Marv, and that somebody said it was Kyle McCord was Honda McCord. <laughs> oh yeah, that implies the existence of a Honda McCord. <laughs> it's so good. That is the, it's my last note. In anything in the Big Ten that was just that cracked me up this weekend. That's so accurate. Look, I mean, he is very clearly the Honda Accord of quarterbacks in the Big Ten. So, I mean, there's there's no more fitting name than that. No. Uh, yeah, the uh, the two upsets that we called didn't hit either of them this this week. Uh, we were off on both the Alabama and the South Carolina one, but eh, it happens. Didn't tell you to bet on them, did I? I just <laughs> said just said it might happen. It might happen. I mean, we got the I was harping last week about getting over 31 against Michigan State. We sure cleared that one. Sure did. Yeah. So you were absolutely right about hammering that one. So props to you on that one. Uh, anything else that you want to touch on before we get out of here, sir? I think that does it this week, man. All right. We will be back for what could very well be a special second episode this week. Waiting to hear confirmation on that. It's going to be special regardless. Make sure you tune in. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't left a review for this podcast, please do so. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.